Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And for our subject today, we're going to be talking about Simone Bolivar. And I have a kind of unusual connection to the man I took a stage makeup class in college, and one of our units was on facial hair. And for, I guess, the final project for the facial hair unit, we had to design our own facial hair. <laughs> and I didn't just want to do a beard or a mustache or, or an ironic mustache. An ironic no mustache. That. That's the worst. So I, uh, I Googled mutton chops and came up with... A big picture of Simone Bolivar. It's like, this is my guy. I'm going to replicate this facial hair. I think I did a pretty good job of it. It was a little harder to make my nose look like this uh, Venezuelan man's nose. But, you know, I did my best. And she keeps saying she'll bring in pictures, but I have yet to see any such No, thing. they're they're terrifying. I'm wearing a very <laughs> uh, feminine shirt, which does not go with the mutton chop look. <laughs> Beyond his uh, predilection for odd facial hair and lying in hammocks, uh, Bolivar was a lot more than that. A lot of people call him the George Washington of South America. And we're going to start with a pretty fantastic quote from him. Uh, I have been chosen by fate to break your chains. And today we'll be talking about independence. So Simone Bolivar was born in 1783 in Caracas. And Katie has her own personal story (laughs) about Caracas, too. The only reason I know so many South American and Central American capitals is because my sister, who's a Spanish major, learned some sort of sing-songy version of all of them. So whenever I hear Caracas, it's automatically Caracas, Venezuela, and goes into the whole Lima, Peru, Bogota, Colombia, until, you know, my whole family wanted to strangle her. But because of her, I know all of these things. useful earworm, at least. <laughs> Thank you to my sister. But back to Bolivar. He comes from a rich family, but his parents die when he's really young. And a, like a lot of our subjects recently, actually, in our, our sad childhood series. Um, but he also marries a woman who dies young. So he has a, a tragic youth, I guess you'd say. But it also has a lot of good points. He's very well educated, both at home and in Europe. And he had the opportunity to acquaint himself with the work of very influential Enlightenment writers. So we're kind of setting a, a foundation here for some of his future adventures. And we want to give you some background to some social context for what's going on. So to set this scene, we need to start with Napoleon. And Napoleon made a lot of European powers pretty uncomfortable, obviously. He keeps invading their countries. <laughs> but as we mentioned in our episode that we did on the Haitian Revolution, Napoleon's effect goes far beyond Europe. And it, in fact, goes all the way to Latin America. And Bolivar is even at his coronation. Before this, of course, we had the American Revolution kicking everything off, and then the French Revolution shortly after this. It's all these ideals influencing other countries. So it's a period of ideas of freedom taking root and turning into bloody revolutions. Yeah, one revolution inspiring another. We've got a chain going on here. And Spain, of course, had colonized large swaths of the Americas, but... 
Now, Spain has something else on its mind besides governing there. They're trying to deal with Napoleon invading their country. So, you know, after they'd helped him, especially ungrateful Napoleon. But if you're in a Spanish colony and Spain isn't paying as much attention, it is the perfect time to fight for independence. Get out from under their thumb. And that's exactly what Bolivar is thinking in 1810 when the Spanish governor is kicked out of Venezuela. So Bolivar goes to England. He's hoping he can get help because obviously the English don't like the Spanish very much either. He doesn't get English help, but he does get Francisco de Miranda, who is recruited from England. And he's a pretty fascinating revolutionary himself. He'd already been in jail for treason, and he was generally scheming against Spain. So he seems like the perfect guy to be in charge of a Venezuelan revolution. Right. So when Venezuela declared independence in 1811 with Bolivar giving lots of good speeches, my favorite quote is, let us lay the cornerstone of American freedom without fear. To hesitate is to perish. So basically, let's go for it. The time is now. But the public opinion of Miranda quickly soured, as did Bolivar's opinion of him. Bolivar was a lot more extreme. He thought, uh, for example, that counter-revolutionaries should be killed. Well, Miranda was a bit more moderate. And then Miranda signed an armistice with Spain that basically gave them almost even more power than they had to begin with. So that was seen as traitorous by the revolutionaries, uh, Bolivar especially. So... He and his colleagues made sure Miranda didn't leave the country and then handed him over to Spain, and Miranda spent the rest of his life in prison. He died there. But just because Miranda has blown things, Bolivar is not about to get out of the game. And there's still a strong push for Venezuelan independence. And the fight for independence is now Bolivar's personal calling. So he sets off for New Granada to sort of plan his approach, mull over the whole thing. And this is where he starts writing the pieces that really make his name and their grand political statements. And they speak of his dreams for the continent and the need for a strong government, really inspirational writings. Especially he thought maybe the reason that it fell to begin with was because they didn't have a strong government. So this will be something that he maintains throughout his his quest. Yeah, a revision in his in his way of thinking. But he thinks it's time at this point to get back to Venezuela um, and get back again against the Spanish and the loyalists. And he won in 1813. And the whole country called him the liberator and he became their dictator. But again, this this doesn't last. And if you remember our podcast on Toussaint Louverture and the Haitian Revolution, that's just kind of the way it goes. You win some, you lose some, take a yeah. couple steps forward, a couple steps Power back. Power changes hands every Every few months, practically. There's a a lot of turmoil in a revolution. And Spain takes back Venezuela. And they've got cowboys on their side this time. And they're very vicious cowboys. Don't think of some uh, romantic Western movie. They're actually called the Legion of Hell, and for very good reason. And Bolivar is forced to leave the country in in the face of these new cowboy arrivals. And he starts writing again setting down what he thinks will be the best government, you know, making more revisions. And he's thinking something along the line of Great Britain's government. Right, with the different houses. Yeah, with the houses and all that. But a different and rather unusual twist, and that's that he thinks Venezuela should have a president for life. Yeah, that's his idea of a strong government. And of course, you know, the president's got to be him, right? Well, (laughs) it only makes sense. (laughs) But at this point, Spain starts upping the ante. Their legion of hell is not enough. And they send 
a guy named Pablo Murillo across the seas to go and fight Bolivar, and he'd fought in the Napoleonic Wars and distinguished himself there. So he's a pretty powerful enemy to have. Yeah, and he's going to hopefully show Venezuela that Spain is the boss of them. Bolivar is still in exile at this point. He's in Haiti, ironically, (laughs) by this point. And he decides it's time to head back toward the action. He hears the call of battle. And this time he thinks, you know, maybe he's worked it all out. Maybe things are going to be different. So he heads to New Granada, which now is Colombia, and stakes out a spot, sets up shop, and develops his plan to liberate this country. So he recruits soldiers, he selects a capital, and once he's organized, he starts talking to other revolutionary groups and spreading propaganda about his own successes and never underestimate the power of propaganda when you're telling people about all these victories and making sure it spreads throughout the country, whether those victories are real or not, they inspire a certain sentiment in the people. Well, and if you're going to set yourself up as president for life, eventually you better be good at propaganda. So this is it. This is his moment. And this leads us to what a lot of historians call the boldest military campaign ever, or at least one of the boldest. So he has a small army, and they've got impossible odds in front of them. The place they want to get to, or the place they think they can succeed, is the most lightly guarded by the Spanish. But to get there, they have to cross a basically impassable terrain. They're going through the Andes, which, you know, freezing to death, not bringing a lot of food. They're going through floods. They're going through swampland. They just have a few of them. Their horses are drowning. They're freezing. They're starving. And they make it. Somehow they beat the Spanish there and they beat the entire Spanish army there in 1819. It's it's so surprising that they made it. And of course they're, they're going to the most lightly guarded part, but, but the Spanish are so surprised to see them. (laughs) They never thought they'd make it there. And after this, South America will never be the same. And that's not hyperbole. It's true. So now that Bolivar has arrived and he's amid all this chaos, it's time to establish some structure. They don't want things to fall apart again like they did last time. And with Bolivar in charge, he tries to set up a republic, tries to bring order to just this this chaotic land. But while all of this is happening, we're still fighting. You have to remember that through all of this as cities and countries are changing hands back and forth. The battles don't end. It's supposed that during this, there's something like 700 battles in this fight for independence. Um, But Bolivar met with Morillo in 1820 for a treaty. Both sides decided there should be six months of peace, you know, and after that, all bets are off. But during those six months, that's the way it's going to be. When it's over, Bolivar battles again and manages to free Venezuela, which of course, had been his dream. That's that's his home. So it was a big deal for him. And in the midst of all this fighting, as a side note, he met a woman named Manuela Sáenz, who was pretty much the love of his life and, you know, very romantic. Revolutionary love. Exactly. Well, Bolivar apparently comes back pretty strong from the six months of peace because in addition to liberating Venezuela, as you just mentioned, by the end of it all, we have Colombia, Ecuador, and Panama all free in a series of battles, which there's so many, we're not going to go into details about all of them. It would be a lot of back and forth. (laughs) But, but that's the end score. And still missing is Peru, but that enormous amount of territory, I mean, it's, it's a large part of South America is not enough for Bolivar. He wants more, and he has bigger dreams. 
But there is a possible obstacle to freeing Peru. There's another revolutionary, Jose de San Martin, who's from Argentina. And he's been just as awesome as Bolivar at fighting, but he's been doing it in the south. So he's basically doing the same thing that Bolivar was doing just in the southern part of the continent. And that puts the two a bit at odds because they're both such strong, charismatic, powerful people, but they have slightly different ideas of how this all should go. So they have a meeting that we don't have any records from. But after this, San Martin stepped aside, perhaps because he thought Bolivar was the better man for the job, by which we mean ruling an entire continent. President for life. (laughs) But leaving Bolivar to go it alone, and Bolivar goes on to win Peru's independence in 1824, or at least part of it. We still had Upper Peru left, but his army ended up conquering that as well. And now it's the country of Bolivia, named after our dear Bolivar. But again, the government that he sets up, which is you know, with him as lifetime president, has nothing to do with the ideals that he's espoused in all of his writings, which is kind of weird, don't you think? I was wondering if it had something to do with the whole Napoleon thing, you know, the man Napoleon was and the man Napoleon became and his his ideas versus who he actually was. Exactly. That that's that's my current theory. But as far as political power goes, at this point, Simon Bolivar was on top of the world. And another cool thing that he wanted to do was bring all of South America together, like as a continent, you know, not as as separate countries. Think of kind of a, a league of nations, like there would be strength in unity. Well, that idea obviously didn't gel, but it it was pretty revolutionary. I mean, sorry to to say revolutionary in this everything context. he did was <laughs> revolutionary. But I mean, it is it's way before before his time. So he set a standard there. After this, his influence declined as well as his health and civil war and various other fights took something out of him. An assassination attempt was made, but it was tuberculosis that killed him in 1830. And another interesting thing we were reading about, we should mention that he was an abolitionist who freed his own slaves, but didn't pass any sort of abolition law. So we were wondering what you all thought about that. If you'd like to email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com, because of course he had the idea that South Americans were slaves to Spain. So maybe he thought that was far enough. I'm not sure. So send us your thoughts. Yeah. We'd also like to emphasize just how daring he is. I mean, facial hair choices aside, in some of these fights, he is so outnumbered, ridiculously outnumbered. And his armies are, you know, ragtag bands, old weaponry, bad equipment, and they're fighting bloody battles on several fronts. So he himself has to deal with all the internal fighting that's always going on with rebellions. Uh, I mean, you remember the Taiping Rebellion, that kind of thing. In addition to to fighting the the cowboys and and the the Spanish, so it's pretty amazing that he's able to prevail through all of this. Well, it must have seemed completely impossible, but even when they lost over and over again, they just came back because the fight for independence was that important. And I don't want to romanticize war, but there's something about this story that's just very stirring to me. And we'd like to end with a great quote from Bolivar. A people that love freedom will in the end be free. And that wraps up our story and brings us to listener mail. We got a lovely postcard of the Winchester Mystery House from Carrie and Ariadne. 
and it's also addressed to Candace and says, History ladies, thanks for being our Before the Tour tour guides. We love your podcast. So this one is going on the wall with our other postcards. If you'd like to send us mail, please do. It, again, does up your chances of appearing in listener mail. And if you would like to follow us on Twitter, we're at Missed in History. We also have a Facebook fan page. And we have a great article on the Winchester Mystery House by Molly of Stuff Mom Never Told You. So search for it on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 